0: Srinath, in the first part of our discussion, you know, under uh, winds of change, you talked briefly about the digitalization of the trade finance sector. So I wanted to ask you what has been achieved and with the promise of, uh, you know, uh, blockchain technology, what are the future prospects for digitalization?
1: This might be a slightly extended answer. No problem. So please accommodate all me. all yours. Um, so... Automation of processes is something that has happened for a very long time. Uh, I would say longer than a decade. Right. Uh, say particularly linking uh, a customer with a bank. So it was no longer about uh, taking a form, typing it up, and uh, signing it, and then physically delivering it to a bank. If you want to make an LC application, True. you could do it using a. Uh, Computer terminal, and through the terminal, you could uh, issue instructions for remittances. You could issue instructions for LCs, whatever. Absolutely. But there was again limitations there. Uh, there mm-hmm. are certain parts. Once it reaches the bank, then the bank again manualizes the whole process, uh, transmits it using uh, communication facilities available to the bank, uh, and then again there's manual intervention at the other end as well. Right. So. Uh, there has been considerable discussion about digitalization and uh, uh, making it uh, with less manual intervention. And uh, at the supranational level, you've got organizations like the ICC, which has actually set out a digitalization roadmap. Hmm. Very interesting uh, document. Uh, so if you go to the ICC website, uh, you'll find it there. Uh, they've also recast rules uh, for digital trade finance. So there are various. There is, of course, the uh, e versions of some of the old uh, rules that we have. Right. Uh, but uh, it's it's these are all developments that are occurring at a supranational level.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the WTO is also uh, uh, getting engaged with that discussion mm. in terms of how to uh, make sure that all the countries in the world have mm-hmm. a common approach to uh, the whole. Uh, phase of digitalization that's going to occur. So clearly digitalization is happening, uh, has happened and will continue to happen. There's no way out from that. Right. Um, Within banks, uh, different levels of, uh, shall we say, investments and activity, Mm. but uh, the writing is on the wall. Uh, If banks don't digitalize their operations, uh, they'll either find themselves unable to uh, sustain a trade finance franchise or they'll just be excluded from the system Network, because yeah. they're not they're not there uh, also at the supranational level you have organizations like swift which is the uh, the, the core communication technology and device uh, it's a facility that's used right uh, between banks and they are also uh, um, investing a lot of effort into digitalizing processes and uh, adjusting themselves to the digitalized world. Mm -hmm. Now, incidentally, I happen to be connected with a fintech enterprise, which is uh, also uh, in that same uh, vein, uh, looking to digitalize certain processes. Wonderful, wonderful. Tell us more. Yeah. uh, So the product is called Trade Assets, Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: and uh, you can always look it up on the net. Uh, So, the genesis of that idea of trade assets is that uh, when you think about banks and their correspondent relationships, uh, those are other banks with whom, you know, they may have confirmation lines or discounting lines or guaranteed issuance lines, things of that sort. So, in trade finance, for example, every bank that initiates a trade finance transaction needs another bank at the other end. Sure. And uh, the other bank at the other end not only performs the important role of, uh, being part of the chain of custody of documents, but also gets involved in financing or providing reassurances like adding confirmation stuff like that to LCs. So uh, the configuration of correspondent relationship is something like hub and spokes. Correct. There can be one bank, say one big bank, uh, bank A, uh, that has 500 correspondents and there are 500 spokes emanating from hub A Mm. or bank A. Like that, there is another big bank with its own configuration of uh, hub and spoke. So, like this, imagine there are the whole correspondent banking market is divided into silos, and in every silo, there is a hub and spoke network. Okay, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Now, uh, the problem with that is all the communication is bilateral. True. Okay. Uh, And so, The one who's at the hub is the one who's controlling the entire uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, therefore, when you take an overall view of the correspondent banking market and as a user of correspondent banking services as a trading company, you will find that uh, there is, uh, first of all, considerable inefficiency uh, in terms of the way correspondent banking operations are being done, where they're still relying on emails and faxes and uh, telephone tell, calls and tell stuff, us about Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that in terms of operating their business, correspondent banking relationships.
2: Right.
1: And uh, secondly, uh, there is no multidimensional communication happening between banks because while you're sitting in one silo, you talk only to people who are in that silo.
2: Right.
1: And again, you talk only to the hub, hub to spoke that's particular spoke so it's bilateral yeah. communication so when you think about um, um, finding uh, you know risk capacity or you're looking in terms of new pools of liquidity to fund trade transactions mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: this architecture severely restricts the ability to find that that is one problem mm. the second problem is about price discovery mm. so the cost of risk of one bank to another mm and the appetite that one bank has for another bank's risk. Right. These are all bilateral decisions. Correct. And so there is no transparency market-wide in terms of uh, what the price of a bank risk should be. Yes, there are market reports and you can form a consensus, hmm. but as such, there's no one central marketplace. Like for an exchange, for example, Yeah. you turn on a Bloomberg screen, you turn on any other information screen and you... You, you get a sense of what exchange rates are true true and yes there are exchange rate markets in different locations like New York London Singapore Hong Kong so on and so forth but um, there's a there's a uniformity right sorts in across the across otherwise that will give rise to arbitrage opportunities mm. um, but in correspondent relationship banking relationships that doesn't exist so what trade assets is done, Okay. It's a portal to an online marketplace where we admit banks as members. And what we are doing is uh, several things. One is allowing every member bank to communicate mm-hmm. with any other member bank. So they are no longer part of it. There's no hub there. It's just a marketplace where everybody is of equal status. Right. Okay. In terms of membership. And they can reach out to any other bank that they wish, uh, which they would previously either not have heard about thought about or have not done okay so one is we are uh, creating the visib- greater visibility sorry greater mm. visibility uh, in terms of uh, you know who's uh, looking for what and what type of transactions are out there in the market mm. so automatically that also gives rise to uh, dynamic price discovery for bank risk mm it also gives greater visibility, particularly to the banks in the emerging markets because they emerging market banks have had a particular challenge following 2008. Hmm. Following 2008, because the global regulators are the significant regulators in the financial world like the US, like in the UK, like in the EU, right. et cetera. Hmm. They have imposed very onerous responsibilities on their own banks. Hmm in terms of the KYC and due diligence they need to do. So if for example, uh, there's a a bank in a developing part of the world Mm. that is sending a simple thing like a remittance through a clearing account in New York. Mm. And if there's anything suspicious about that money transfer, Mm. uh, the US bank may be completely unaware of what the antecedents of the transaction are, but they'll be held liable if it turns out that the money was related to some criminal activity. So as a result of which, the banks in New York and the banks in Europe had a real deep second thought and said, should we be really engaging with banks and then suffering the risk of being held up by our regulators and then being severely penalized for that? So they shrink. So as a result, there's been a wholesale, shall we we say, discharge of these type of clients. And so there are vast geographies in the world where they've lost a significant portion of their correspondent linkages. And that had the follow-on effect of affecting trade, because because in trade, you need correspondent banks.
0: Exactly, it doesn't work otherwise. Coming
1: from that perspective, we felt we needed to find a way to address some of the very significant problems that uh, I know you're going to be talking about, and I'll refer to that in terms of supply and demand of trade finance later but uh, it came in the way of banks connecting with each other and uh, pricing of bank risk became completely ad hoc. There was really no sense in it. As a result of which, now that's the point we're trying to address in trade assets. Yeah, because
0: to to give an example, uh, the uh, situation that you uh, described, uh, pre-financial crisis and this kind of tightening, i mean if i wanted to do business with uh, a customer in new or uh, mogadishu or anywhere right um, it was it was very much possible because the banks there were also you know part of the uh, you know they had correspondent bank relationship via their uh, you know european uh, counterparts and so they had european counterpart the european correspondents and so on and so forth so the whether they added confirmation and things like that is a separate issue. But at least documentary flows and remittance flows for uh, relating to trade uh, def- definitely happened. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking right that because I I was a person who did those kinds of transactions uh, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Uh, you know, and uh, some of those destinations, some of those geographies uh, where my uh, clients were. You know, most people didn't even know that they that they existed.
1: Yeah, so uh, this is what we're attempting to address. And in the process, we're digitalizing the whole process of, uh, you know, banks doing deals with each mm-hmm. other. Uh, because we've uh, created access, we've created visibility, we made the pricing more uh, transparent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We made it easier for banks to connect with each other. So in the whole process, that supports trade. Uh, so we we see that as a very good development, and we are at a stage where. Uh, so, what are the it,
0: technologies are you that you're bringing together on this platform, like we're using blockchain? Blockchain. blockchain? Yeah,
1: we, we're using blockchain, distributed uh, ledger technology, hmm. uh, and the reason we chose uh, DLT was uh, because banks are paranoid about security of data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that is one aspect that uh, addresses that then of course is the issue of storage which uh, where you store the data that's that's a separate matter some banks have some stipulations others don't
0: because their own central bank or
1: regulators may have some sometimes central banks may have a, a say in the matter yeah, uh, yeah. so uh uh, so how do you? I, so you you have flexibility for these have, things? No, we we are at this point using uh, Microsoft Azure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're using a public cloud. Uh, there can be a whole discussion about public cloud and private cloud, and uh, but uh, public cloud is something that is uh, not uh, unusual, right? Uh, because public cloud. Uh, is a very resilient market. Um, sorry, a resilient uh, space. Space, yes. Yeah. To store data, the latest uh, security uh, softwares and protections and uh, the latest developments in technology are introduced at a public cloud level. Mm-hmm. So uh, it has served us well. Right. Uh, but then there are some banks uh, that uh, have a different opinion in terms of uh, how they want the storage to be done. Mm-hmm. In which case we engage with those customers and we find solutions for them that are mutually acceptable. Okay. Uh, so so when was your problem. site
0: launched, and uh, what kind of, how many? Transactions I have are you not put been.
1: To... I've been associated with since November twenty nineteen. Okay. Um, and uh, the organization itself uh, actually emerged from Dubai. Two mm-hmm. senior ex bankers came together and set up uh, an organization called FinTech Innovations International. Right, and they developed that product called Trade Assets. Mm. Uh, so that goes back to I believe twenty eighteen.
2: Okay, but okay.
1: the thinking must have started much earlier.
0: But any I've been any top since. line numbers in terms of like transactions that they have put through
1: uh, uh, volume? Yeah, I mean we're quantities. Already, we're already in the several hundred million dollars worth of transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh we have total. current yeah mm. total.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, we have 59 member banks. Okay. And we are looking to uh expand that quite significantly. 2020 was a bit slow because right. uh, decisions obviously were slower to make at that time of uncertainty.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh we have very substantial growth plans for 2021 and
2: 2022.
1: Wonderful. Right. So on the whole, we are extremely uh positive on, on the future there. Right. Because we know that we're doing what is relevant, we know what is it, that it's good for the e-trade finance markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, we think it's uh, something that uh, increasingly both trading businesses as well as banks will start using more uh, actively going forward.
0: So let me let me take this to a broader uh, thing. You know, the broader aspect of digitalization, um, what are the issues that uh, one has to be alert to? You know, we we talked about challenges in the physical world itself, and uh, you know, some of the classic issues have uh, you know have continued to hurt, right? You know, you gave the recent Bloomberg story, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, transactions, uh, Turkey and China, copper, and so on, the copper trade, and so on. So, so you know, digital day in and day out, we hear various uh, scary stories. So what are the issues when we think of uh, digitalization of trade finance in general, what are the issues that we need to be uh, alert to?
1: It took me some time to come to a conclusion on this, but mm-hmm. I, have, I have reached a point where I believe digitalization is the way to go. Sure. Uh, that's where the future lies. That's number one. But uh, is our environment ready for it is the question. hmm Uh, One of the unique problems we have is, uh, for example, restrictions on data storage. I did allude to that in respect of a bank. But now there are government policies uh, where certain countries insist that any data generated out of their environment must be stored locally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and must not be stored on offshore locations. Now, of course, if I'm using uh, Microsoft Azure, my, my location is, depending on where the, the servers are, and uh, the servers would be in locations which would be, shall we say, uh, having reliable sources of uh, electricity supply, uh, they have the human resources to manage uh, such facilities. Right. Uh, I, I saw an interesting article about Facebook um, Having data storage facilities somewhere close to the Arctic Circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: was going to say that. Yeah, that's where they have Arctic Circle. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's
1: interesting because uh, uh, data storage uh, uh, ut- ut- utilities uh, consume a lot of electricity, yeah,
0: electricity, and a lot of generate heat. And so, so, on, so
1: yeah. now that we talk about ESG in these mm. days, so even these organizations are uh, are applying some of these principles in terms of reducing. Sure. Uh, reducing uh, demand or consumption of traditional uh, energy sources right. and shifting to solar and uh, mm-hmm. renewable mm-hmm. sources, etc. cetera. Uh, so data storage is one issue that uh, there's no consensus across the world. Right. That's one. Second is the legal infrastructure in terms of acceptability of virtualizing documents and mm-hmm. uh, processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, countries are, are coming on board, but there still needs to be considerable movement on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, third is investment in mm-hmm. uh, the whole digitalization process because uh, you have to create the infrastructure for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and you need to have a reliable infrastructure so you can't have spotty internet, you can't have true, uh, true. Uh, true. Uh, machineries that are uh, shall we say overused and uh, yeah yeah. Got yeah, it. the technology got is not up to date. Got it. So investment is uh, also important. Then there has to be wholesale, uh, training of people, mm-hmm. not only in terms of skill sets, but their mindsets
2: mm-hmm, to uh,
1: accept uh, digitalization. If you go back in, in the 1960s, 70s, when there was talk about computerization in India, mm. uh, the uh, labor unions rose up sure. and said, you know, we yeah. lose our jobs. And uh, so there are these type of concerns, and which turned out to be somewhat different uh, as the banking sector uh, Expanded with time and right. became more efficient. Let me so let the, me
0: take this to to a transactional level. So, what should we be concerned about? What should we be concerned about from a, a fraud prevention, fraud detection? Because you know we're talking about virtual documents and well, putting them through.
1: Yeah, we've we've learned enough lessons, I believe, in the physical world mm-hmm. as to what can go wrong. So, as technologies are developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the security aspect will also be taken care of. Mm. So the genuineness of an electronic presentation and all that for example mm-hmm. of documents
2: mm-hmm. is mm-hmm.
1: something that will automatically be part and parcel of the whole digitalization process. Mm. Not only in terms of uh, the choice of technologies, but in terms of how the technology is actually deployed into a solution,
2: and mm-hmm. transforms
1: mm-hmm. itself into a solution.
0: Mm. So, Fake videos are getting better, Srinath.
1: I know, I know, <laughs> but but again, we're I'm learning. I'm pushing you on this. We're learning, yeah,
0: we're pushing. learning. Right.
1: Uh, so mistakes will be made along the way. Some tragedies will occur, but we will get better at it. And uh, yeah. uh, I firmly believe that uh, as trade finance gets more and more digitalized and with the corresponding advent of available technologies, mm-hmm. uh, the generation after me, for example, Mm. Uh, will be living in a wholly different world when they're practicing trade finance. And it will be a more organized, a more efficient, uh, a more transparent world. Right. Uh, So so what have been the first
0: experiments, right, whether for your site or for for, for the others, broadly speaking, some global banks put through some trade transactions completely using blockchain. That's what we we read in the news. Uh, Yes, yes. So so can you, you know, you as a person, uh, you know, deeply invested in this and talking about this. Tell us how some of them went through, and you know what were the successes, what were the challenges uh, in Again, of those pilot the, uh, initiatives. My
1: my reading of it is that there have been pockets of activity where mm-hmm. there are particular banks dealing with particular clients. Right. So as such, there has not been a wholesale transformation through that process true, as yet. True. True. Uh, so that is in the works, and it will happen as a matter mm-hmm. of time. But this go,
0: those individual or experimental transactions go on fine.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the the experience has been positive. That's reports. Very good. Very good. And so that gives confidence uh, to the banking system to proceed further. It also gives confidence to the central bankers because central bankers mm. audit the books of uh, of their constituent banks.
2: Right. So uh,
1: the central bankers, uh, particularly, you know, people like MAS and right. Hong Kong Monetary Authority and FCA, RBI, you know, Fed, uh, they are FFA, very heavily FFA. invested in these conversations with guidelines True. And, True. Uh, True. and, you know, giving their input. So there's a constant communication going on. Right. Um, so going forward, uh, I do anticipate that the security aspects of it will go hand in hand. I don't see that as a major challenge.
0: So some of these techs have been available for, for, for some time, right, already. Um, so why has it taken more time to do this digital transformation of trade and trade finance, right? You know, I heard you talk about various technologies and like it occurs to me that like, hey, it's not absolutely sort of like, like new, right?
1: Yeah, uh, technology has been around, solutions have been around for a long time, but adoption has been slow. Even speaking for uh, trade assets, uh, one could always ask the question, why only 59 banks? The point is, we think it's a a badge of honor that we have 59 banks. We Mm. do value Mm. those 59 banks being on board. Mm. Uh, And uh, when we think about it, it's Mm. about, uh, one is probably mindset and the way in which banking businesses are managed.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So if I were to take specific reference to trade assets where Mm -hmm. we are in the business of making available bank risk capacity and uh, funding pools uh, available from one bank to another, uh, there are banks out there who say uh, that uh, I would still like to retain my ability to be deciding how i deploy my capacity for bank risk based on what my customers want rather than going to an open marketplace
2: right right
1: so we are in the process of you know debating that point and saying you know where's the value add in coming to trade assets as opposed to trying to do it on your own in terms of keeping your capacities reserved for your customers and right. not deploying it for other banks right or transactions you might otherwise not be uh, involved in uh, but the thinking is changing uh, and it's a process, uh, and uh, it's a transformation of the mind as well as the way in which, as I said, businesses are managed within the bank. So the metrics by which uh, somebody's performance is uh, measured uh, will will also have to change. Absolutely. In order for you to adjust to this digitalized uh, world that we're going to live in. So true. Then I so- spoke earlier about uh, you know things like uh, human resources, etc acclimatizing to this whole new world right so a whole lot of things happening uh, but clearly digitalization and the introduction of technology there's also discussion about artificial intelligence and machine learning yeah uh, there's already optical recognition technologies that are being used for checking documents
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, transmission of documents uh, through electronic channels is uh, another uh, way in which to do it securely is is also In practice, it's happening and it needs to be more widespread. Right. So, some banks have come together and collaborated in uh, certain ventures. In some cases, some banks are doing it on a standalone basis. Right. So, there are various initiatives happening and it's an exciting time to be involved
0: so you know you you mentioned uh, uh, apart from that you also mentioned that you know the the next generation and the one after that will have a completely different experience when it comes to trade finance so talk about the future trends for careers in trade finance uh, and trade in in
1: general um, I think there'll be a whole transformation there too uh, one is uh, I think, one of the skill sets that will be required is to uh, uh, merge your thinking about uh, trade, your understanding of trade finance and trade finance processes, which Mm -hmm. again are Mm -hmm. undergoing a transformation Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, uh, merging that with the needs of the customer Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the
1: digitalized world. It'll be a whole different equation. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: And then dealing with other counterparties in the banking sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uniformity with which we now respond, mm-hmm. uh, it may take some time to achieve that same level of uniformity going forward, mm. because everybody is getting used to this digitalized world. So there will be hiccups along the way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so um, I anticipate that uh, going forward, uh, comfort with uh, use of technology is going to be an important part. Right. Um, and also when you're looking at propositions, trade financing propositions, uh, you, you don't focus on the borrower alone. You right. zoom out, look at the supply chain that they're located in, and uh, then determine what type of solutions best fit the customer's needs. Right. Because there's a fundamental, shall we say, requirement, need to do that. Uh, because when you do a risk analysis of, say, one company within a supply chain, their risk profile is not determined by what you see contained within them. There are risks occurring up and down the supply chain, which has an impact on them. So therefore you need to have a much more expansive view in terms of risk analysis by zooming out and looking at the whole supply chain and having a more expansive view.
0: So that would mean something like, uh, if I may be allowed to use this expression, uh trades finance architecturing right uh, designing and architecturing for specific transactions or for set of a specific set of clients it's like decision architecture right that um, you don't look at it only on you know a, a single attribute or a single thing but but you, you zoom up and uh, say that okay fine he, he, this is the landscape like and these are the pieces that will fit together and that will give me the best uh, solution
1: Well, uh, to translate what you just said, one way of looking at it is instead of looking at specific and one-to-one transactions, it's about trade flows. Because at the end of the day, uh, as a bank or as a financial institution, and here again, the uh, architecture of the uh, the trade finance marketplace is changing. Right. Uh, We'll talk about that after I just complete this point. Hmm. Um, So banks, when they're looking, or financiers, when they're looking to... uh, finance customers mm-hmm. uh, they don't want to be talking to a customer every day and say what's this new transaction for the day mm-hmm. because even businesses have certain patterns have certain flows and there's certain uniformity in those flows right so a financer comes in and says i'd like to capture say a percentage of that flow mm-hmm. or 100 percent of that flow let me just take that whole package and uh, design a trade finance solution
2: Which takes into
1: account the particularities of that particular trade transaction, as well as the digital capabilities that the banks brings to the table. So you see a lot of that happening, for example, in the supply chain finance uh, space, where banks are making strenuous efforts to actually capture whole swaths of uh, business activity and uh, then uh, make that same solution available to other clients who might require something similar. Because but that reduces the cost of acquisition of clients for the banks.
0: But if that re-architecturing uh, takes place, then it can also bring in non-banking uh, actors, right? And
1: with, with that's the... precisely that's precisely what's happened. And I said there's been a reconfiguration in the market architecture Tell us today. Uh, I told you earlier about uh, should we say the SME sector uh, being abandoned by many of the large banks, right? Uh, in many parts of the world, hmm. uh, so. They started looking for alternatives and then there were providers out there. So today you've got uh, uh, digital platforms for receivable finance. You've got digital pl- platforms for uh, uh, auctioning of uh, home loans, reverse auction of home loans. Mm-hmm. You hear about that, right? Yeah, yeah. In Singapore. Uh, we've got uh, platforms, we've got uh, digitalization of. Uh, uh, documentary processes between customer and bank, bank to bank and then bank to customer. right uh, So all this is happening and then you've got initiatives like trade assets which is occupying the space all of its own. Mm. So uh, uh, that has brought in a lot of technology companies. So you have the fintechs. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I classify fintechs into two fintechs that offer something in the nature of uh, risk and uh, financing services. Uh, select financing platforms, et cetera. That's one type of fintech. And then there's the other type of fintech like ours, which uh, completely redefines the marketplace and enables two banks to come together on a transaction. Mm -hmm. The transaction itself still is done um, directly by those two banks. We are not intermediaries in the transaction, whereas in a financing platform, the fintech provider could be the intermediary in the transaction. Okay. So there are different forms and then there are Non-bank financial institutions, funds that come in and are offering trade finance now, Mm. uh, they are not subject to the regulatory requirements that uh, the central bank has on licensed banks. So to an extent, they have uh, a little more flexibility, but that's not to say that they are not diligent about the way they do risk analysis. It's just Mm. that their regulatory framework is totally different. It's
0: different, Yeah. yeah.
1: So they operate under different conditions. So you've got funds, and then you've got the insurers, for example, uh, coming into the secondary market for uh, bank risk, mm-hmm. you've got, so insurers not just doing insurance, that's the point here. Right. And then you've got uh, uh, digital providers of uh, of uh, banking services. Right. So the whole uh, marketplace is changing. And so if you, there was a point in time when I came into the banking business that if you want to do trade finance, you do it in the bank.
0: Right. So now that that's is changing. Not, that's, that's, that's changed. So let me ask you a quick question. Uh, you know, do you foresee that this would be the state of, uh, you know, the state of supply and demand for trade finance? This is how it will be reconfigured if you are looking at it in the next five years or longer?
1: There has been a serious problem in global in the world uh, mm-hmm. in terms of trade finance supply. Right. Um, uh, ADB, Asian Development Bank, and ICC many years ago estimated right. that the gap between uh, supply and demand mm. is 1.5 trillion dollars. Right. So that okay. means demand exceeded supply by 1.5 trillion dollars.
0: So there's room for the non-banking actors so as long as they manage risk well. Yeah.
1: With the pandemic, uh, there have been some institutions that have. Suggested that that gap has increased to $5 trillion or in the region of somewhere between 3 wow. to $5 trillion. Wow. Uh, and that is a huge problem. It's a serious problem that would hold the whole world back. Right. Um, so the advent of non bank institutions within the form of fintechs or basically funds or, uh, or other non bank financing institutions, NBFIs, we might refer to them. Uh, and the advent of other uh, financial institutions like insurers, et cetera, coming into the play will definitely have a beneficial effect, uh, but we're still far from uh, filling that gap. Uh, there's a, I was just between, just now we had a break and I was looking at my phone at some news and, uh, mm-hmm. and I noticed that there was an article that uh, uh, ICC, International Chamber of Commerce has engaged with a uh, fintech uh, firm to address the issue of uh, trade finance gap. So it's a very current issue. It's a very serious problem. Mm. And uh, uh, to an extent, microfinance has helped. Say, for example, you take the case in India. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were disadvantaged sectors. Correct. Uh, which were not receiving any financing. Uh, so the microfinance has helped, but there's a huge gap between the form what the formal banking sector does and what microfinance does. Yeah. There's a whole gap of customers there who are still unserved. Uh, nationalization of the banking system to a degree may have helped, but uh, it came, with it came the inefficiencies of the public sector, unfortunately. Uh, but there are still gaps in the market like that in developing countries. Uh, in the developed countries, of course, the situation is better.
0: Fascinating, fascinating discussion, Srinath, and uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, wonderful that you shared, uh, uh, you know, such current information as much even as much as like like uh, news flow that flowed into your uh, mobile as as we were recording this uh, this session. But uh, you know, fascinating insights we got uh, at the end of it, and uh, definitely you know we would uh, look forward to have you back. And uh, maybe we could explore some of the topics in greater detail uh, and so on. So thank you. Thank you once again. Thank you very much for this enlightening discussion. I I enjoyed it thoroughly.
1: I thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to speak. It's not often that I get a chance. I I do talk about it in bits and pieces in my training session, depending on what the training session is all about. But to have a free flow conversation on a whole range of topics like this is by itself uh, thought provoking. So thank you. And uh, yes, it's been enjoyable. And your questions were all very good.
0: Thank you for joining us in yet another episode of Move Conversations. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.